Hey Rapids fans, this is Red. I just wanted to warn you that this episode contains profanity. All of it is either bleeped, abbreviated, or self-censored. To begin, here's Robin Fraser's thoughts on how last week started for the Burgundy Boys. It doesn't matter how much it is what it is. And how it ended. I'm so f***ing proud of this team. Terrible. I'm still one. I love it. Honey, lad. This guy's again. Who paid for the nachos? No rain, nor wind, nor snow. Classic, though. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holy. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Monday, May 16th, 2022, and I want to not apologize for the bleeped-out profanity you just heard from Robin Frazier. Super Soccer Sunday is upon us with La Liga, the Premier League, and Serie A all finishing up this coming Sunday morning. The Colorado Rapids are out of the bloody cup, but maybe it was all worth it as Kellen Acosta's return to the dick ended with two balls in the back of his team's net i'm joined now by a man who's so effing proud of this team rabbi mark goodman i am so effing proud of this treat team uh he said trying to keep it pg-13 for the folks on the radio with their kids in the car on the way to school how are you matt i'm good mark uh spring or i'll say officially full spring transitioning into summer is happening here in Colorado. Um, I can always tell when it's not fake spring because the bug production has ramped up. So I got a bit of a horsefly bite on me on the back of my net. That's not very, it is slightly more painful than it looks and it doesn't look as bad as horseflies usually are for me, but uh, beware of that on the North side of Mount Galbraith. Uh, Maybe there's a swarm of them that are around. So one of them got me yesterday afternoon, unfortunately, but um, you know, summer's here, Mark, I'm super excited. And then obviously we finally have, uh, I think overall a net positive podcast to talk about when it comes to the Colorado Rapids. And I think I as we'll get into in a few minutes I I I think we're in a position where we're going to start to see a trend positive and right where it really needs to be from a scheduling standpoint Rabbi how are you I'm pretty chill I mean uh it's it's being a little busy at work this week I got a bunch of things going on um I worked uh, the Riverhounds game on Saturday night which was a lot of fun and I worked it as a photographer I really enjoy that uh kind of branching out I'm I'm a triple threat I'm a triple threat I can podcast I can write and I can shoot. And it makes up, Matt, for the fact that I'm not very good at any of those things. I'm not an innovative or engaging podcaster. I'm not the world's greatest writer. And Lord knows I'm not the photographer that others like, for instance, John Babiak, who's uh, off in the Ukraine right now. Not the Ukraine, Ukraine right now, um, doing really good things in the universe. Uh, but I do enjoy all of those things. And I think it's really valuable to the soccer community to be a triple threat if you can do it. So much soccer to talk about this week. It's kind of insane, right? We don't have. We have to cut. We have to cut short the uh, 
the the amount of like non soccery banteriness in in the in the intro. Yeah. So, uh, Mark, I think this coming set, what I'm about to say, listeners, I mean with sincerity, and I don't think it's hyperbole at all. I think this coming Saturday by, I'll say, 3 to 4 p.m. Mountain Time to have the end officially of the La Liga season happen as there's La Liga games as late at 2 p.m. kicking off this coming Sunday. By 4 p.m., by the time you are driving to DSG on Sunday for Colorado Rapids taking on Seattle Sounders. I think Sunday will have already been one of the best soccering days of the year. And that is before your Colorado Rapids get their one home game against the now CONCACAF Champions League champions, Seattle Sounders. And I'm saying that best weekend of a year, best day of a year, potentially, or one of the best yeah. days of the year in a year in which the World Cup yeah. is taking place. Uh, Mark, let's start chronologically, I suppose. And so we have um, most of the Serie A is kicking off at 10 a.m. Mountain time. Spezia versus Napoli is kicking off at 6.30 a.m. though. So you can you can wake at Eastern Coast time. So at your coast, that's, uh, what, 4.30 in the morning? Yeah, no thanks, Mark. I'm, I'm not... G- you can start no, but if you look at the calendar, you can you can start with that Italy game uh, at four thirty in the morning, and you could pretty much mainline soccer from the beginning of the day till the end. And the last game you would catch is Pachuca at seven p.m. Uh, versus America in the Clausura semifinal. But you keep going, Matt. You tell them about the middle. Yeah, so uh, then we have, obviously, a proper um, championship Sunday with all games kicking off at 9 a.m. local time, 9 a.m. Denver time um, in the English Premier League. Obviously, there's a couple midweek games that could affect the significance of that, Mark. Burnley's playing on Thursday afternoon against Aston Villa, and then Everton also has a Thursday game uh, against Crystal Palace. But then, realistically, unless both, even if both of those are wins, you're coming down to Leeds, and then one of those two other teams possibly all three battled in a final day uh, relegation battle with Burnley having two games left and sitting on 34 points, Leeds with one game left but only one point ahead of Burnley, and then Everton two points ahead of Burnley, one point ahead of Leeds with their two games left to remain. Everton did not look good on the weekend if you watch that at all, Mark, so that's going to be absolutely fantastic. And then obviously you have Liverpool who have two games in hand. They need to win um, what would it would be um, it's probably today at time of recording or today if you're listening to us on Tuesday taking on Southampton and that could come down to the final day mark with Manchester City playing let me see where they are on the schedule they're uh, hosting Aston Villa and there's some interesting wrinkles there folks with so many Liverpool outcasts coming to the City Stadium coming to the Emirates and then obviously uh, Jack Grealish playing his former team and then obviously Liverpool have Wolves as well in that game against a team that's effectively on the beach. So that could come down to the final day, Mark, even with Liverpool potentially limping over the line with all the injuries they had playing 120 minutes in the FA Cup final that they won over Chelsea. And this is the first time, don't quote me, folks, I think it's in seven years that the Serie A title is coming down to the final match day. AC Milan has not won the championship in something like a decade as well. They're two points ahead on Inter, but then Inter has the superior goal difference and goal difference is the first tiebreaker not win so if inter wins uh and they are taking on sasulo sasulo who are already relegated uh no uh inter ac milan is taking on sasulo um who are not 
relegated, but then um, Inter Milan is taking on Sampdoria, who I believe have already, uh, who's who are out of it. They have nothing to play for. Neither of the teams really have anything to play for, but uh, Sosulo has been more of the giant killer in the last couple of years in Serie A. So there's a scenario here, folks, where AC Milan ties, Inter Milan wins, and then because that would be a net positive in terms of goal difference for Inter, Inter would win on goal difference. So if Inter draws or if they lose, then it doesn't matter. AC Milan's are already champions. But if Inter wins, then AC Milan is in a must-win scenario in order to win their first title of the decade. Zlatan's already injured. He's basically coaching the team from the bench. Uh, this team is so fun to watch. Mark, uh, like I said, uh, this is going to be an insane morning by 11.30 a.m. noon. I'm not sure I'm even going to have energy for Rapids versus Sounders. On, on a scale of one to a million, how pumped are you for Super Soccer Sunday? I mean, for me, the big game of the day is Arsenal versus Everton um, because Arsenal can can play their way into fourth and they can pass Tottenham to do it, which is a big, big deal. Um, but you have to be something of a soccer nerd already to be this into it because there aren't the, the two biggest leagues, the EPL and, to my mind, this next biggest league in the world is the Bundesliga. Um, the championship is already settled. Uh, Bayern Munich have already won the championship in the Bundesliga. I don't know if the Bundesliga has all that much kind of um, at stake this week, Um but that's the exception to the rule. But there's other stuff. I mean, the NWSL is kicking off, um, has kicked off a couple weeks ago, and they've got a full slate of games kind of in the evening to match up with the MLS games. Uh, there are a lot of other leagues that are kind of rolling through with uh, significant matches. Um, Spain, uh, Argentina has the Copa de Liga Profesional uh, with Boca Juniors. That's like their FA Cup. Um, there's, uh, both Belgium and, uh, Denmark have, I think either the last week or the second to last week of their championships. So there's like wall to wall, really good soccer. You will flip on ESPN and every game will be consequential, which is super, super fun. Um, so highly recommended, you know, to just wake up at four o'clock in the morning with a case of Natty Light and just go to town all day and, um, you know, have Grubhub and DoorDash on your phone with French fries and nachos just being constantly stuffed into your face hole uh, with with no break. Maybe have a good friend on hand to wheel you but to the bathroom in between matches, you know, and just, just make sure, like, pace yourself, you know, like, make sure that you, you get up and, like, stretch... Uh, so that you don't get a cramp in the 87th minute, like, uh, of this fourth game and so on and so forth, right? Like, this is, Matt's gonna go nuts. Matt, Matt believes in things like tri-boxing and quad-boxing, which I do not. Like, I believe you can watch one game effectively while scrolling through your phone to see the scores of the other game. Um, but Matt is probably gonna go seven games in a row. That would be my guess. Matt will probably watch seven matches on Sunday. Um... I can't, I, I uh, have to work all day Saturday, so I don't catch any games on Saturday. So I will likely do some serious hardcore binging on Sunday. Um, but even for me, like five games is probably the max for me. Um, so that's, that's my plan. That's my plan. Five, five matches. Yeah, and then one last thing that I will say, uh, you didn't mention La Liga, Mark, and rightfully so, because Real Madrid locked up the title, what, I think two weeks ago now at time of recording, but the final spot for Champions League is up for bid, oh. up for grabs, and the only two teams that can get it, Sevilla right now is in fourth, and Real Betis is in fifth. There's also a mathematical scenario where um, Real Sociedad ends up 
jumping Betis and preventing them from jumping Sevilla. And then Villarreal, who are in seventh, and Athletic Cub, who are in eighth, are battling out for the final Conference League spot. And there's another scenario where Villarreal, no, Villarreal cannot get Sociedad as well. So I, Mark, as of the beginning of this La Liga season, when I said I need a La Liga team, reached out to all of my Latin American friends who are obsessed with La Liga. I settled on Real Betis. So there's very little that's relevant in La Liga. But if you're a fan of one of the teams, then obviously Sunday is very, very significant because getting one up on who finishes higher than the standings, the fact that one is finishing, uh, Sevilla could finish fourth, they could finish fifth, Betis could finish fourth, fifth, or sixth would be significant from a bragging rights standpoint, significant in terms of who gets into Champions League. I would argue Betis has already had a wonderful season winning the Copa del Rey, obviously, so that's very exciting. But so, like, your point, Mark, that from 4.30 a.m., you could be watching multiple soccer games games of consequence whereas you know in a typical Premier League season if there's 10 games on the final day you'll have four or five of them that are effectively dead rubber matches depending on how the you know Everton loses and then Burnley picks up at least a draw you have three relevant games in relegation you'll have I think one or two other games outside of that that would be relevant in terms of competing for places in Europe as well and then the other two games um, for uh, deciding who's ultimately the champion. That's 7 out of 10 already. They're going to be significant. So from 4.30 a.m. through the middle of the afternoon, you could be watching multiple games of consequence simultaneously on the final match day of their leagues. Uh, Mark, I want to hear it from you right now. Um, who wins Serie A? Who wins Premier League? Uh, so Liverpool is behind right now in the Premier League, and they need to win on Tuesday if uh, basically they have to win on Tuesday in order to be able to then go ahead and pass Man City. Um, so it's, it's, it's a long stretch for me. I don't think Man City's going to stumble there. So that's pretty much that. Do I think Arsenal's going to pass Tottenham for the fourth spot? No, I think Arsenal's going to disappoint me. You know why? Because that's what they do, Matt. They just <laughs> disappoint me. They exist to disappoint me. Kind of like Everton and Roger Bennett. Um, who is the other league that you wanted to know the... Uh, Serie A, which, uh, which Milano club? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess since I picked the, 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 the front runner, uh, in EPL, I'll pick the underdog in that league. So I'll, right now, Inter Milan is behind. I think Inter Milan passes him on the final day. Um, I'll go chalk. I'll, I'll go chalk in both of them. So I think Man so I think it ends how it is. I think Man City won, Liverpool two, and then, uh, Serie A, I think AC Milan over Inter Milan. Uh, Mark, which one of the three teams in Premier League, who's going down? Oh, who are the what are the options in the in the prem? Uh, it's Burnley, who's currently occupying the final relegation spot, and then it's Leeds and Everton. But Everton and Burnley both have two games left, right. whereas Leeds just has the one. Wow. Um. So, so right now, all three of them. So right now, it's Burnley, Watford, and Norwich, and Watford and Norwich are already guaranteed to go down. So Everton could go down, but man, that would be catastrophic, wouldn't it? Like it's just. It just it would be unbelievable. Um, I feel like it stays the way it is. Burnley goes down and Leeds stays up. By the way, um, John Rosh, uh, former editor of uh, Burgundy Wave, my former editor, huge Burnley fan. Uh, he would be very disappointed at what I said, but um, that's how I think it goes. You? Um, I'm going to go Leeds in this one, Mark. It has not been a good 12 months for Americans in Europe when it comes to 
ill-timed injuries or just failures as well. So I think the Premier League script writers have one more crap burger for um, American USMNT Twitter to eat. And it hasn't been good for Americans in Europe not getting relegated because Venezia is already basically guaranteed to be relegated in Serie A. And that's uh, uh, Gianluca Busio's team. And who else is on that team? One of the uh, other Americans. Tanner Tessman yeah, from Dallas, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Formerly of Dallas. Yes, formerly <laughs> of FC Dallas. Um, I'm pretty sure Mark Ausberg, uh, Ricardo Pepe, they're already safe, yes? No idea. I don't. I, I haven't been looking at the bottom of, of uh, the Bundesliga because all I ever do is make sure that my team, Mainz, is clear. And last I saw that they were clear. So, Okay. Speaking of our team, Mark, the Colorado Rapids this past Wednesday slash Thursday, asterisk, 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 were defeated in their first game of the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup by a score of 2-1 to one to the Minnesota United FC to the Loons, excuse me. Uh, Mark, it was an interesting... We were both very wrong on what this lineup would ultimately end up being. It was, depending on the unit for each team, mostly a first-choice lineup and then a rotation in of bench players and then very, very few actual, what I would call, secondary squad players. This was the this was very much not Loons 2 versus uh, Rapidos. So it was Tyler Miller in goal, um, the typical back three that you had for Minnesota with Debassi, Coleman, and Boxall. Um, O'Neal Fisher was in. That was a little bit strange. Ariaga, who's been decent for them as well. And then up top, other than not having Reynoso, it was Hunu Dunlady, who had scored previously against the Rapids in league play, and Fragapane, Fragapane um, were in as well. And then for the Colorado Rapids, really, Mark, only one player I would consider Rapids to, and Anthony Markanich uh, operating the Lucas Estevez role in the back five, back three at the left back position. Michael Barrios, Max, and Diego Rubio up top. You had Nicholas Mosquita and Brian Acosta in the central midfield role. Viasia was in for Lalsa Bubakar at center back. No real surprises there. And then Clint Irwin in goal. Uh, Mark, and then this game was a mess. Eight minutes in, Don Lottie scores with a nice little job shooting the gap. Great pass by Hunu to Fragapane, who then squared it to Don Lottie for the goal. The Rapids get one back. Diego Rubio earns a penalty. Excuse me. <laughs> he earned a penalty later in the week, folks. Uh, he earned a uh, free kick outside the box in the 15th minute. Uh, he gets two opportunities off of that, off of the rebound to shoot on the direct free kick. And it, the ball ends up bouncing way up in the air. Nicholas Mesquita pounces on it. He scores to open up his account for for 2022 to open the scoring for the Rapids to make it 1-1, even though Minnesota had had the better of the play so far. 17th minute, we get lightning, we get thunderstorms, there's a tornado warning in the area. You look at the Doppler that people were putting out, it didn't look particularly good. Going back and forth, whether or not the game was going to restart. At one point, the players actually came out and started to warm up. For a few minutes, two minutes later, they get called back in. There's issues, Mark, with a uh, ordinance about about uh, I think it was 10:59 p.m. The game had to be restarted for it to be allowed to be finished that night. Um, and then obviously you had still thunderstorm warnings and issues going up. Uh, so all of this is happening. There's a question of whether or not the game is going to get restarted that night. Um, if the game can't get restarted, the Colorado Rapids are asking for the game to get rescheduled. This is not an issue they take up with the league. They would take it up with the Open Cup. I heard from a club official, Mark, on Sunday that the Open Cup didn't want to have it moved. They just want, even though they didn't want to have it moved because of the draw that was going to happen later that day, as in like within a couple of hours of when ultimately full-time was called of this game, in 
question, somehow FIFA's allowed to say, yeah, Ukraine slash Scotland slash Wales will let you know in two to three months, but the Open Cup couldn't have waited another week. Then the Rapids ultimately go to the league once it was found out that the game was going to get replayed Thursday afternoon, asking, hey, could we move our game to from Saturday to Sunday, or at the very least, could we move it to naturally Saturday night? <laughs> the one game that the Rapids get that's an afternoon national time kit, national TV kickoff in multiple languages. Yeah, like Univision is like, yeah, that's not happening. Uh, so they can't end up not being able to move it. So the game gets restarted in the 18th minute uh, in the afternoon on Thursday. Really soggy pitch, Mark. Heavy game. Uh, I don't think I, I don't know how much I can judge the performance given the circumstances from either team. Barkanich had a really good header set up from Rubio in the 33rd minute that goes off the post. Fragapane had a chance. Abu Dunladi had a chance to start the second half. Irwin made a really fantastic save on Ariaga uh, on the hour mark off of a really great curling free kick. Coleman gets called for a second yellow card. Maybe the one good thing that Jonathan Lewis did in the game of setting that up. And basically it was a really good blocking foul. Um, if I were to use a basketball term. So the Rapids go up a man. It looks like they're going to be fine. At the very least, we're going to extra time. And then they're up a man. You figured they'd be able to take advantage. But then the Rapids killer, Emmanuel Reynoso, who did not start the game, gets subbed on. Um, and he has a great individual run undressing multiple Rapids defenders and then beating Irwin to the far post. And Mark, it was kind of, um, it was it was very ho-hum. Yeah, that's the way this is going to go from an open cup standpoint, from a weather and just uh, the Rapids not being able to buy a break in terms of the powers above them getting it and ultimately the one guy who seems to always play well against the Rapids and is an absolute Rapids uh, slayer um, you know undoes what was <laughs> I'm not sure we can call it a run Mark uh, if you can was call it a run. a run as in it was multiple days albeit one match <laughs> uh, Mark uh, I guess let's start with good things uh, I like the work of Jonathan Lewis I thought he he was um he challenged the keeper many times. He got into good spots. Um, I think rotating the squad was also really solid. I think a lot of the players for the Rapids who got into that match, um, uh, uh, um, you know, kind of showed well. They they looked really good in that in, in that um, opportunity that they were given. I thought, like for instance, uh, Nicholas Mesquita had a really nice game. I thought he was really solid. Um, throughout, even bef other than the goal that he scored, um, but I think that that's mostly th th those are my those are my main notes. Those are my big notes of. Uh, I I guess the other player that I thought did a solid job was uh, Clint Irwin. I was really happy with his performance. He definitely made some some good solid saves, um, and the goals that he conceded were really not his fault. Matt, you're a good thing. Oh uh, yeah, good to see Skeeter score, and obviously he had a lot of energy for, I think, a team that certainly needed it, given the squad rotation and the circumstances and the way that obviously the previous Saturday happened against San Jose Earthquakes. I thought he brought energy in the second match day that they ultimately ended up playing in that was sorely needed. Um, I thought Rubio was propelled forward with anger and was trying to put the team on his back and do everything that he could from a crafty standpoint to try and create offense. He creates the foul that leads to the direct free kick, that leads to the third opportunity that leads to the goal. He had the cross to Anthony Markanich, so I thought he did everything that he could, given the circumstances. This loss should not be on him. It was good to see Gustavo Viasia get a start. How much of that was circumstances, given Lalo Sububakar getting subbed off for the injury in the San Jose game, but he continues to get minutes. Robin Frazier continues to give him opportunities to work through and get integrated in with this team, and I think that's just going to lead to a much more seamless transition post-Austin Trustee this coming July. Um, you know, and then I, 
yeah, I think that was it in terms of, oh, uh, Anthony Markanich did not look completely out of place in a MLS I'll say I'll say two MLS teams playing their B minus B minus ish teams and Markanich didn't look like the worst player on the field. I think that bodes well given the fact of what we saw from him in preseason and given what he's done in spite of how bad the rest of Rapidos has been so far this season. I still think he's a project. I don't think he'll get many starting minutes this season, but he's uh, but you know early returns are good and positive. One that the Rapids drafted him, two that they've signed him, three that they're giving him opportunities both now at the first team and the second team level. Mark, where do you want to start with bad things? There were many. I mean, I think uh, Gustavo Vallecia had a number of fouls where I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what, what, like, just defend. Don't grab the guy and throw him down. Um, and they weren't like ticky tack, like questionable fouls where you'd be, you could argue it. It was like he wrapped his arm around a guy and threw him to the ground and then got a card. And it was like, come on, man, just defend. And it wasn't tactical. Um, I don't know that I've seen a single game where I've said to myself, and you could go back and review the tape, uh, uh, holding the Highline fans, those of you who keep detailed stats and spreadsheets about what we say and who we talk about on this podcast. If there is a a holding the Highline spreadsheet nerd, shout out to you, my man or woman. Uh, We really appreciate your your intricate deep dives into uh, all things HTHL. My point is this. I don't think I've ever said anything positive about Brian Acosta this year. Um, I don't think he's shown well or been particularly um, productive or or really good. Um, he was 21 for 24 on passes, which is good, except I, I believe they were all kind of recycling kind of passes or lateral ones. I don't think he advanced the ball in any way uh, or or created he created zero chances um so and i think defensively he's i haven't noticed him be particularly mobile i mean in this match he only played 45 minutes before he got yanked off so i think that a 45 minute match is always generally screaming at uh pundits and fans like you're not doing very well and the coach is disappointed in you so i think those are two of the places where we didn't look really great, um, which is, I mean, you know, if I'm going to complain, those are fair complaints because we're talking about guys who um, are bench guys anyways. It's good to put them in an open cup and see how they do. Um, I guess the last complaint I could make, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, Matt, because I've already waxed poetic too long, is uh, Max wasn't great. You know, he just wasn't, you know, he didn't, he didn't progressive passing. He put it in a, in the in the mixer for a few dangerous places a few times, but and he wasn't incredibly dangerous or productive. All right, Matt, where do you go? Um, uh, I guess I'll start with both goals. Just another scenario where we see, if not errors, at the very least, defenders not being at their best and kind of a collective number of those not being particularly good. So, you know, nobody closes down who knew in the midfield to set up the, you know, the long through pass that ultimately sets it up. And then, yeah, it was trusty closest to Donlotti when he ended up scoring yes is it easy to say oh trusty was marking Nathan in the game against San Jose he was marking 
Dunlady in this game against Minnesota. In both of those cases, those lead to goals. It's more he's the run starts closer to where Keegan was supposed to take up his man. If we're talking about the actual like a a run through a zone defense in American gridiron football, then it's Keegan who doesn't cover that from a zone standpoint, and then Trusty has to kind of follow through with him. But neither of them ultimately end up getting to him, so nobody closes down the pass. Viasia, who you mentioned, Mark wasn't uh, his at his best possibly doesn't close down Fragapane for the pass. And then ultimately the center forward, who's the secondary center forward, whose only goal of the season was against you in that same stadium earlier in the year, shoots between, you would argue, two of your better 1v1 defenders to ultimately get a relatively easy tap-in goal. There's a lot of film study that should should have gone into dealing with that. And as we'll get to in a little bit, the, clearly the Rapids learned from that mistake. And then you're up a man, and then rather than instead of getting the game-winning goal, you give up the game-winning goal on a great individual effort where you just get posterized by a guy who's been uh, a thorn in your side the entire time that he's been in the league. Um, you know, just ill-befitting from, a, I think, regardless of the circumstances, you know, these are professional athletes. They, they could have done better from that standpoint from the 83rd minute. So that was disappointing. And I, which kind of leads to my big thing, Mark, which is, you know, ultimately, yes, hindsight is twenty twenty, but at the end of the day, both of these teams went for it. And one of these teams got the result and one of these teams ultimately ended up not getting it. So I think if you had asked me Thursday afternoon, what I think about how this week's going to go, I was like, well, the Rapids went all in on open cup, got nothing for it. And they've set themselves up for an absolute shellacking against the best team in the MLS Western Conference. If the Rapids lose two to three nil, like it is full on. We're talking DEFCON ratings. And Mark, I think you and I realistically are having to talk about whether or not Mr. X is right. And maybe like we've been seeing this team through burgundy and blue colored glasses in terms of whether or not they're a playoff team. So, you know, if you're going to lose and lose to a team that semi takes it seriously at the very least gives some kids a chance and you know Darren Yappi doesn't start this game Yaya Torre doesn't start this game the only real one that you gave a chance to is Anthony Markanich who's being played out of position and in a position of at least right now relative strength with the return of um of Danny Wilson to the starting lineup. So you went all in for it and got none of the benefits from a performance standpoint and obviously all of the negatives from a results standpoint. Any big things on this mark or shall we move on? I mean, the big thing is what I wrote about in uh, last week's back pass, which is the end of last week's back pass, which is like, we're out again. Our history with Open Cup is horrendous. It's unbelievable. 13 wins, 20 losses in the last, since 2013, we have a four and eight record. And our our record is all of our four wins in the last, since 2013, are against lower league teams. Um, we have lost to lower league teams four times also. So we're four and four versus the lower league, and we're 0 and four versus MLS. Uh, it, it's like embarrassing. And to be to be really honest, Matt, I mean, our our uh, open cup record would be even worse. Were it not for the fact that from 2007 to 2012, you had to qualify for Open Cup um, by finishing at a at a higher end at the higher end of MLS, and the Rapids didn't even qualify for Open Cup proper. They actually had to play themselves in in the qualifying rounds and didn't qualify in most of those leagues. So 
our 13 and 20 record, theoretically, it's worse, Matt, if you count the the Open Cup qualifying games that we lost, which... Uh, in that period, we lost in the first round of qualifying most of the time, um, and otherwise we went one and one to get knocked out. So, like, our record of incompetence in Open Cup boggles my mind. It literally defies math, and I had a whole theory in Backpass last week about, like, why it is that we're so bad at Open Cup, um, and it actually leads into one of the other things that you're going to bring up a little bit later, which is whether bench depth is a problem for the Colorado Rapids. So that's my big thing, which is like, we're bad at Open Cup. There are a lot of reasons we're bad at Open Cup. And one of them is the thing that we always complain about, which is spending. Yeah, so uh, Mark, you, you mentioned the graph that we're going to talk about in a little bit. I guess let's talk about it now to get all of the bad let's stuff go. out here, folks. Uh, there was a tweet um, from earlier. Let me see. This was earlier today. Um, so I will link this in the show notes from Ben Wright at Ben Wright W R I G H T on the last name. Good dude, I've met him in person. He writes for uh, what is it called? Uh, country and Club and Country, which is the Nashville uh, website. Uh, speed uh, Speedway Soccer. Oh, Speedway Soccer. Broadway Wrong Hennessy, guy. Yes. Haven't met him. Or maybe yes. I have. I might have met him. I don't know. He was. I feel like I've met Ben Wright. Either way. In any case, uh, Ben has a Ben has a graph mark uh, that was produced ultimately by uh, American Soccer Analysis uh, that looks at MLS sub usage and attacking contribution, and then rates that um, on a factor of um, how effective your subs overall are, and then ultimately how many subs you end up using. So if you think about it, folks, the x-axis is sub impact from low to high, and it quantifies substitute impact by combined XG and XA. So that's expected goals added and then expected assists added. And substitute is defined as um, uh, as greater than 500 minutes of substitute contribution. So in terms of number of subs. Um, and then uh, the Y-axis is total players used. So then uh, the, so very high on the Y-axis would be a lot of subs used, and then very low on the Y-axis would be very few subs used. Very high on the X-axis would be uh, few sub, would be fewer subs, bigger impact. So a greater uh, production per substitute or a greater efficiency of your subs and then low on the x-axis would be low efficiency usage of your subs and so in terms of subs used mark so the y-axis the rapids are about middle of the pack um so they're right around i think 22 23 or so so i'll say they're barely in the bottom half of the table so they're like the last team to miss the playoffs in terms of if the table was determined by number of players used. And then in terms of sub impact, they are dead last. And the only team that's worse than them is Nashville. And Nashville statistically uses way fewer substitutes on this. Mark, you are the better guru when it comes to looking at the underlying numbers and ultimately what they mean. Um, what is this chart saying and why does it matter? I mean, the challenging thing with expected goals and expected assists is it really good players can have high expected goals and a high expected assists, or they can have medium sized expected goals and expected, expected assists, and they can just be um, uh, very good at converting. Right. Meaning like if you have eight goals, but your expected goals is five, 5.0 was what it would more likely look like. That means that you convert at an above average rate. It means that you make the most of your chances. Right. Um, 
that's uh, a really common thing for guys who are like really de- dangerous uh, target shooters or pop-up strikers like Thomas Muller, hello, type guys, right? Like that's a Chris, a Chris Wondolowski thing is to, to have a medium XG and a high goals. Um, Jonathan Lewis is kind of the opposite, right? He creates a lot of opportunities because he's really fast. He's an excellent dribbler. He's not a great converter of those kinds of things. Anyhow, my point is... Um, XG and XA isn't everything. It doesn't mean the whole ball will wax. That being said, the Rapids having the worst XG plus XJ for uh, for plus XA for their bench players is a good indicator that we are not getting a very productive outing from any of our bench guys. Um, I think we know that um, guys like Nicholas Mesquita are useful cogs but they haven't really shown much use this year he hasn't gotten a lot of run he hasn't done a lot a whole lot yet um we've we've brought on subs typically at the 60th and 70th minute that have like trended defensive right you bring on colin werner um you bring on max he hasn't been an impact player on any level for this team um the team brings on defensive subs sometimes and they haven't been they're not necessarily going to generate that much XG or XJ at all, or XA at all. I don't know why I keep saying XJ. It sounds like sounds like I'm expected marijuana that I that will be smoked. You know, like no, but um, so it's really simple. We haven't produced a lot of of uh, value from our bench players. Um, and even though you could quibble with the stat and say like, oh, you know, small sample size, maybe. Um, yeah, we're not producing goals, but we're still producing value. Da, da, da. It doesn't look good. Um, and I, I think uh, you could combine that with my statement about the U.S. Open Cup and the article that I wrote f- uh, for Backpass, which you should all read, um, which basically implies that our lack of spending especially hits roster spots like 15 to 28, which is where we're, you know, we're trying to like, you know, be cheap on the reserve guys and on the bench guys, because they're not going to play that much anyway. So why spend, you know, $400,000 on a guy who's going to sit on your bench when you could spend the league minimum of 81000 So the team generally spends 81000 or 100000 or 120000 And guess what? When you put those guys in the game, they don't produce much. Um, and that hurts more in the Open Cup when you're using your bench players more. So that's my take on this is that, like, our, you know, the eye test is that our value hasn't been, uh, we haven't gotten a lot of value out of our, out of our bench and the math owes up and demonstrates that the eye test is correct. Yeah, no, I guess the only thing that I'll really add, Mark, is this is kind of visually, this confirms what I've been seeing from the eye test as well, which is I think the Rapids, everybody fully healthy, 90 minutes fit, have two very, very good, potentially star caliber starting central midfielders in Mark Anthony K and in Jack Price. And then after that, they have a lot of guys that on a really good team, you'd be fine being your first or second substitute option. And then if you had them as a regular starter, you would be very concerned. So if you had a midfield, if you were running a 4-3-3 in MLS and your starters were Nicholas Mosquita, Brian Acosta, and Colin Warner, that's an indication that your bench, your fourth best central midfielder is worse than all those guys. And I think you're in trouble from that standpoint. Gustavo Vallecia is a relatively new player. I think he's still learning how to become an impact center back, especially on the bench for the Colorado Rapids. It's kind of hard for me to judge him. Um, as we've seen from Drew Moore and his appearances so far this season, there's a reason he is not a regular starter on this team anymore. And I think it highlights, Mark, some of the losses that the Rapids had.
had in terms of bench contributions last year. If we look at Don Baji, who sometimes was coming off the bench, or if he wasn't coming off, then Jonathan Lewis was able to come on the bench. And, you know, when you're forced to start ineffective wingers or wingers who have stretches of being ineffective and then you don't have another option you know the difference between signing another dp winger as you know Wanners has kind of been hyping on on twitter on rapids twitter for the last couple weeks is then that forces jonathan lewis to a substitute role and then he's a way better option as a super sub against tired legs where the game state suits him we could say the same thing about barrios then if you're forced to start those guys if you're forced to start those guys you know it means because your only other good option is darren yappy and then you know this graph is also saying that the rapids don't have an immediately impactful rookie or homegrown substitute as well, which is not the fault of those individual players, but I think it's the fault of the fact that you know, the Rapids have lost some of their depth. They've suffered from injuries, which has forced players who you would normally think of substitutes to be in that role, and other teams just have better subs right now than the Colorado Rapids do, and hopefully that gets sorted out in due order with the team getting back to being healthy and then forced internal competition that forces guys to be better and the ones who don't end up winning out um, you know, are in a position to where they know they have to make an impact off the bench if they want to get back to being a starter. Anything else that we want to talk about this graph, Mark, or shall we thought about to get started to the good half of the podcast? Uh, let's move on to thinking about what comes next. Or... Also talking about the other game we won. Listeners, uh, this past Saturday uh, afternoon at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, and Espanol, the Colorado Rapids were victorious over Los Angeles Football Club by a score of 2-0. to nil. The Colorado Rapids came out, Mark, and they were absolute gangbusters in the first 30 minutes. Danny Wilson forces a really great save off of a header by out by secondary goalkeeper uh, John McCarthy. Uh, Ibeaga then uh, gets a high boot on Diego Rubio on an indirect free kick in the 15th minute. Uh, Ted Uncle and all of his uh, Ted Uncle-ness uh, calls for a penalty in that one. Giassi's artist goes upper into the right, beats McCarthy to make it 1-0. Then Janela shoulders Jonathan Lewis off of the ball after Lewis had kind of already played it a little bit too far. Really, really good shoulder check mark if this was the Stanley Cup playoffs, but it is not. It is soccer penalty again for the Colorado Rapids. Diego Rubio is initially denied in the 26th minute, going middle and then to the left on John McCarthy. McCarthy, just like against Zardes, dives the right way, but it's less well taken by Rubio. A minute later, play is stopped, and VAR has... Ted Uncle go to the monitor. It is very easily determined that McCarthy was off his line prior to the kick being taken. It was retaken in the 28th minute, and Diego Rubio going to the Danny Rojas corner, top left, emphatically to make it dos Cero to the Colorado Rapids. A few other opportunities for Danny Wilson, mostly on set pieces. Mark, uh, Jonathan Lewis was denied on a really good setup with some techers by Lalo Zububakar and uh, Keegan Rosenberry, who were basically taking the piss out on the LAFC uh, right side of their thing. Diego Rubio with a couple of other good chances. Will Yarbrough had a good save on Apoku and Arango in um, uh, in garbage time effectively. And the Rapids hit two posts in the final 15 minutes or 17 minutes, I should say. Jossie Zardes with a diving header in the 83rd. Jack Price with the setup there uh, going far post that was missed. And then just a minute later on a recycled ball, Barrios squares it to Austin Trusty, who is still up from the free kick. And then Trusty ends up putting the ball uh, he had an open net. He puts it off that same post that Zardes hits, and then Trusty himself runs into the post and then is a little bit worse for wear. But uh, Rabbi, uh, Rapids ultimately get out with a 2-0 victory. Where would you like to start with good things? Uh, they, I mean, I think, 
You've you've left me speechless, Matthew. Once again, um, it's a it's a tricky game to kind of break down. A lot of folks on Twitter, a lot of Rapids fans, basically said, "Oh, it was a complete game. They played so well. They dominated the match." I think when you're thinking about that, you're thinking about the score more than anything else. I think for me, I I guess I look at it upside down, which is we scored two goals early, both on. Um, penalty kicks, that second penalty kick was kind of weird where, you know, um, it got called back. We, we missed the penalty kick or it, it got stopped by John McCarthy and then, um, McCarthy had come off his line early. And so they reset it again. I think you said that Matt. Um, but like we got two goals and then we were up and I think we basically were up with like 70 minutes of soccer to go. And I think the thing that's most important, the, the, the good thing for this team is LAFC dominated in possession. And the reason was because they, of course, you're going to dominate in possession when you have a two goal lead. You're going to sit back, you're going to make them come at you, and you're going to uh, attack on the counter. And they defended very, very, very well. Um, if you look at the stats, the Colorado Rapids had phenomenal numbers in terms of their statistics regarding... Um, uh, some of the, like, not advanced stats. I don't know, rapid, uh, HTHL fans, if you're scoring at home with your spreadsheet, you're very, very aware that I spend a lot of time talking advanced metrics. But there were some basic metrics here that LAFC got their clocks cleaned on. They just got absolutely dominated on. And the two that really tell you a lot about this game, um, duels won and tackles won, Right. If you're defending, uh, if you're if you're playing head to head and you're defending most of the game, then the most important thing is when the ball is a 50-50, you want to win those duels. The Rapids won 49 duels to LAFC's 34 duels. The Rapids also had 11 tackles um, to LAFC's five, which is huge. Uh, and, and they also had 18 clearances to LAFC's 11. They defended very well. They um, forced LAFC to try and bring the game to the Rapids after taking the 2-0 lead, and they overwhelmingly succeeded um, in all of those situations. So that that tells you a whole lot. Matt, what's your good thing? Um, Jossie's Artist opens up his account. Woo! Uh, was absolutely, you know, great for him to... I don't know that we can call it a duck when this would have been his, what, third or fourth game with the team. I think you got to get to... You have to get into halftime of the fifth game that you've played in a row. I think for officially... For us to say that the duck has been formed and then now has to be broken by you scoring a goal. Um, and then I think it's interesting... I think it's always a good indication of a team performance or great individual moments or great individual performances when there's a legitimate argument over who the man of the match is. Um, you know, obviously, I think on the vote, it ended up going to Jossie Zardis, but I saw a lot of clamoring on Twitter for Lalsi Bubagar, who I thought had his best individual 1v1 defending, and there's being a chaos monster, but in a way that prevented fires and then prevented fires from spreading, rather than we've seen how, we've seen what bad Lalsi Bubakar and be like, I think Austin Trusty was fantastic, both from an attacking standpoint with, you know, he almost, he should have had a goal, uh, but, you know, I thought he was great as well. And then obviously with his side of the field being the side that uh, Carlos Vela was attacking for much of the game as well, with Lucas Estevez back in the lineup and then trying to be effective in the attack, that kind of, that led to an opportunity for Trusty to be hung out to dry. And I thought he dealt with Carlos Vela really great. I think I haven't watched every single LAFC game this season, but I think of the games that Vela's played 75 plus minutes, I think this was probably his worst performance of 
in the season that I've seen from him. I personally would go with, I think it's hard to say when you have a striker who's been such a center point of your attack and the attack has just been entirely relying on them. I think it's really hard to argue against Diego Rubio being the man of the match for me when he draws the penalty to get things going by being aggressive. And then he so emphatically responds to having a PK stopped, albeit on illegal in, in an illegal way to ultimately score that. And then to continue to be the engine of the attack that he had. And it was almost, it was funny, Mark on that one that he put over the bar where, you know, he kind of runs and he goes for a dribble and he goes to the end line and then tries to cut back and shoots from a bad angle. Jonathan Lewis was wide open. I think that's kind of maybe emblematic of where Rubio's thinking from mentality standpoint I have to score because I'm the center forward the best thing I can do for the teams is score goals but also maybe an indication that he knows that if he's not completely sending things up he maybe somewhere subconsciously in his sub Freudian you know gray matter he was thinking we have a better chance of scoring if I shoot directly than pass to a wide open Jonathan Lewis who's just going to shoot right at McCarthy again so you know I think I think this game in the key moments of drawing the first penalty, scoring the next one, and then leading the attack in the second half to try and get that third to just put the game out. For me, Diego Rubio was man of the match for me. I think there's a solid argument for Abubakar. I think there's a solid argument for Austin Trusty. When you're arguing over which guy was the best on a day that was fantastic and you beat the best team on the table and you beat them 2-0 and you beat them handedly, it's, it's an indication that there were so many good things to talk about that, uh, you know, it's wonderful. Uh, Mark, let's go to bad things. Was there a bad thing? Can I say there were any bad things? I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess the bad thing was... Should uh, it have been 3-0, Mark? Well, there's that. So in the 82nd and the 83rd minute, they basically put it off the post like twice on that on a couple of plays that you mentioned nicely in the rundown. So, yeah, finishing had some issues, but uh, that doesn't really bother me. When you win 2 to nothing. you know, saying we should have won 4 to nothing feels like really... I think for me, and this is like also a related kind of petty kind of thing, is like, I don't feel entirely, you know, impressed with the Rapids win because the both of the penalties were really lunk-headed LAFC plays where they really made mistakes. The The foul on Jossie Zardes was a foot, you know, uh, where the, the player... Um, whose name escapes me. Ibiaga. Ibiaga. You know, he, he goes for the ball, and instead of going up with his head to challenge Rubio with a header where I think if he elbows him, I don't know if that calls a penalty, he kicks him in the face. Like, you're giving Ted Uncle no choice. It's a penalty. It's a yellow card. Yeah, yeah. A high boot, as they saw, as they say in, in Britain. And and it was a dumb play, and, you know, I'm glad Jossie converted. The second one by Rubio was um, a ridiculous foul, where um, the uh, the defending player for LAFC just trucks him over, just like puts his shoulder down and, and does an NFL style, you know, like knock him out of the way. And it's ridiculous in the sense that like the Rapids, it's great that they won the game, but um, in a different universe, I don't think it comes out that way. So that's a pretty petty bad thing. So I'll be honest, but like, you know, did did the Rapids really dominate this game and win, or did LAFC screw this up and lose? I would argue that LAFC screwed this game up and lost. And if we were an LAFC podcast, or if we were listening to an LAFC podcast right now, they're not going to talk about how fantastic the Rapids were and how, how they were dominated. They're going to talk about how badly LAFC played and all the mistakes that they made and 
why some of their better players um, who are normally a lot more impressive, like Carlos Vela, like uh, Jose Cifuentes, didn't really do much in this match. Yeah, so my bad thing, Mark, is kind of in that in that same vein. You know, it's really, I, I agree with you that both of the penalties were unnecessary fouls where the individual defenders could have some done something differently. And I also don't know that those moments were super threatening where you could argue like you have to go up in the air to try and challenge Rubio, you know, because Danny Wilson's at the back post and nobody's near there and it's for sure going to be a goal. I can't say that about either moment. I'm not even sure... Maybe this is karma, Mark. Maybe this is pro kind of understanding that if the fix is in, then at the very least they owe a couple makeup calls and everything with the fact that I, I think the I think there's no question the first penalty is a penalty and a yellow card. I think it's a 50-50 on the second one only because Lewis has already played the ball away. And at that point, Lewis isn't winning that ball. The center back stepping up, you know, three or four feet and then punching that ball, you know, into midfield. And in that regard, it's unnecessary content, but contact by Janela on Lewis. I, I'm not going to say that Jonathan Lewis was acting as well, but we know that Lewis is relatively small. Janela's taller than him. So then how much of that is just like how Coleman was called for a yellow card in part because of the level of contact due to the difference in size between the two players. How much of that was Lewis also taking advantage of that or the Rapids getting an advantage because of the difference in size of those two players? I think it's ultimately it's going to come out as a wash. There's going to be a few other fouls that, you know, aren't going to go the Rapids way the rest of the season. There's a few that they're going to get that are going to be slightly to their benefit. You know, does that make up for does a 70 30 non PK call against the Nathan handball in San Jose. Does that get karmically make it easier by the fact that the Rapids are going to go up 2 0 and going to have a relatively easy second half when they've been dealt a uh, bad hand because of what happened midweek? How much of that from a karma banking standpoint gets even out? I'm not entirely sure. What I do know is when it's in the 28th minute, and the Colorado Rapids score to make it up 2-0, at that point, the game state completely favors the Rapids because they can set in, they can be a little bit more defensive, they can put numbers behind the ball, they don't have to go forward and push numbers into the final third. They can choose to press in the midfield rather than directly on the back line. That gives LAFC a bunch of purpose, a bunch of possession without a purpose, which favors them, albeit though the st- it makes the stats lopsided in a way that, you know, are you just looking at the stats or are you actually watching the game? And that also makes it super easy from a defensive standpoint standpoint because you've got numbers back you don't have to completely push forward and anytime Vela gets the ball you've got you're so dense defensively with where he's going to get the ball you can put two to three guys on him and he can't do anything with it Vela had no room to operate in because it was so early in the game that the that the scoreline favored the Rapids they could be a little bit more defensive they could be play a little bit more in transition unlike previous games against LAFC where LAFC scores in the first 15-20 minutes the Rapids have to scrap the counter-attacking game plan they have to come out of their shell leave men upfield that leaves space and that leaves opportunities for LAFC to just destroy them in transition the Rapids flipped the script from that standpoint but it was it was so much easier a game to manage once it's the 30th minute and you're up 2-0 given the heavy legs that you have given how you know from a game state and who you were playing and how you wanted to play against them and how you wanted to 
to defend against them. There could not have been an easier scenario in the first 30 minutes other than two defensive mistakes leading to two surefire goals. And then at that point, you're able to see it out in cruise control. Don't give Carlos Vela a bunch of opportunities. Don't give them a bunch of opportunities on set pieces. Manage the game and then manage the scoreline to where, yes, some of the stats lopsidedly favor LAFC. Some of the stats rightfully reflect the performance in the game state in favoring the Colorado Rapids, but it's just so much easier than if the game had been nil-nil in the 60th minute as well. Um, Mark, any big things? The big thing is we broke the duck. I mean, speaking of ducks before, um, the Rapids had not won a game, I think, in seven matches, uh, eight if you count the Open Cup match. Might not be that high. I'll, I'll let me let me fact check that for myself while I do it. But nonetheless, the point is that the Rapids had not been good and had not won games lately, and that is um, something that they they needed to do. They needed to kind of get back into it and show that they could win a game. I take that back. They had beaten um, uh, Portland uh, two nothing earlier, but the earlier form had basically been. Um, minus the LAFC game, they had one win in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight matches, and that's not good. So getting back on track with LAFC is big um, because it means that they beat a good team. Now the question is, as we move into the rest of this week with a double double match week, um, can we start to beat teams that are at least in the table not good? Matt, your big thing? Yeah, so um, you know, just again, LAFC, I didn't, I think, didn't play particularly great, but I think it's, it's so this was this was such an MLS performance and such an MLS result, Mark, where you figure, you know, team comes in on forty eight hours rest. Let me let me again walk you through the listeners that I heard from a few club officials as to what happened. So obviously, the lightning and then the tornado warning delays the game against Minnesota. They run up against the deadline for the city ordinance within the. State within St. Paul for the game to get restarted. By the time they get to 1059, they know the game isn't resuming that night. It gets resumed noon mountain time, 1 p.m. local time um, at kickoff. There is then more weather later that night on Thursday that the Rapids are waiting out at the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport. They get on the plane and everything. It looks like they're getting ready to go home. The crew for their flight had maxed out on the number of hours they could work. They legally could not take off. They have to get – they go back to the hotel or a hotel. I'm not sure if it was the same one. Get up very, very early at the butt crack of dawn. I think they land at DI like 1030 in the morning. They go straight to DSG. The players get something to eat. They go out to training. Robin said that in post-game media availability – on Saturday that he wanted to mimic game day minus one to be as normal as possible to try and combat the abnormal circumstances they were in to get them in the right mindset for playing a game. They do two film sessions on LAFC to get an understanding of what they're supposed to do. They go out, have training for about an hour-ish. Robin said that he got home at 3 p.m. and he took a nap. He was completely exhausted. I can't imagine what the players were dealing with playing 15 minutes, 17 minutes, on Wednesday, playing on a soggy pitch in the middle of the heat on Thursday, all that travel and everything, training session, getting home, and less than, by the time training ended, it was within 24 hours of kickoff on Saturday. And you figure at that point, it's a scheduled loss. You're playing one of the best teams in the league. LAFC is going to come in and trounce you, and it's the exact opposite. This is exactly the switcheroo that we've seen from Major League Soccer. This is why this league is crazy. This is why it's insane, and it's unpredictable. And this is why I love it. Injected straight into my veins. And on that note, Mark, why I have to say, doubt this team 
at your peril because it's almost they almost have to be backed into a wall to like come out and play their absolute best soccer. And so this team is at their best when their best is required. And historically, this season, it has been when they have faced the most adversity and felt like the world from an officiating standpoint, from a governing body standpoint, and from an opponent standpoint, and external pressures or external expectation, everybody is against them. And they continue to find ways to hashtag keep fighting. Listeners, this coming Wednesday, May 18th, the Colorado Rapids will be at Mina, at <clears throat> Sporting Kansas City. It'll be a 6.30 p.m. kickoff, and then this coming Sunday at 6 p.m. local time, they will be back at DSG taking on the Seattle Sounders. We are 11.34 through the Colorado Rapids 2022 MLS regular season, effectively right at the one-third mark of the season. The Rapids find themselves in 7th in the MLS Western Conference. They have 15 points off of 11 games played, a record of 4-4-3, and and a goal difference of plus 1. On Wednesday, they'll be taking on Sporting Kansas City, who find themselves 2nd to last in the Western Conference, last in terms of points per game. They have 9 points off of 12 games played, a record of 2-7-3, and a goal difference of minus 13. Yowza! And at Children's Mercy Park this season, they are 2-1-2. and And then on Sunday, taking on Seattle Sounders, who are currently 11th in the Western Conference. But take that with a grain of salt, folk, given like the Rapids, like Montreal, like NYCFC, um, had bad MLS results leading up to their conclusion in the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, they have looked very, very good since the end of CCL um, and obviously got a win on Sunday against Minnesota United. In any case, Seattle, 11th in the West, 10 points off of nine games played, a record of three, five, and one, goal difference of minus two, and then away from Lumen Field in MLS play this season, they are one, three, and one. Uh, Mark, let's start with Sporting Kansas City. Uh, they are a team that's absolutely in crisis right now. There's starting to be legitimate conversations in the Sporting Kansas City fan base and amongst the MLS national punditry, whether or not this is the end for this particular group, it's the end for this core. Roger Espinosa doesn't look up to it. Obviously, Matt Beasler's gone. Um, their center backs, they do not have a starting caliber center back. And while I wouldn't say that Graham zussi has been terrible, you know for sure at this point that he is operating on borrowed time. Uh, I think it's worth pointing out that obviously Alan Pulida has been injured. Um, Daniel Shallowy has not looked particularly great. Johnny Russell had some very scathing comments about the team's performance after a 7-2 loss to the the Portland Timbers. And Timilia, you know, uh, Mark, this is, I guess, Mark, where do you want to start with the, just, you know, the the train going off the rails for what was a club that historically has been Mr. Competitive, Mr. Consistency, we have depth, we have fitness and everything, and they have looked nothing like that so far in 2022. I mean, they're missing Alan Polito. They're missing uh, Nicholas Ismat Mirren, who they also um, uh, was a, was a big defensive signing for them at center back. Graham Zussi was out the last game with an injury, um, and my personal favorite player who's been out with injury is Gadi Kinda, who plays for the U.S. Uh, the U.S. the Israeli national team. Um, and I've always wanted to meet him so I could interview him in a post game in Hebrew, but no. It has so far not been um, to plan. I think your point is really interesting about like blowing up this lineup and starting all over again. And like, maybe this is the end of the road for, for some of these guys. Um, There's a couple of guys on this team who they probably should like send out to pasture. Um, Although it's sad to do it in a year when they're not doing very well. So like Graham Zussi is one of them. Um, Kyrie Shelton, 
has been like back and forth and back and forth in this league. And he's fine, but he's never been like kind of a game-changing dominant striker for any team. Daniel Shallowy has had some really good years, and then he had a really bad year where he couldn't hit the broadside of a boat. Um, and then Johnny Russell, you know, he's a real terror. I mean, he was actually the best player uh, in this last match where they lost 7-2. to two. But, like, in the midfield, they're starting Roger Espinosa, who's a retread, Uri Rossell, who's a retread, um, and something called a Remy Walter, who I've never heard of before, and that's not a great sign for your starting midfield three. Um, you know, one of the brighter spots for this team, other than this last match where they got schwacked, is Gord Ford, you know, Colorado Rapids' uh, local homegrown favorite, uh, who's really been able to bail them out. Um, but over overall, this team is terrible. Um, the Rapids need to thump them and beat them like a rented mule uh, on top of a drum kit being played by a bongos uh, musician. Um, and that's really all, all there is to it. The Rapids have been playing up to their opposition and playing down to their opposition. They've been losing to teams who weren't that good. So um, just because we all cry bloody murder about the spork doesn't mean that the spork doesn't actually show up and beat us this week in a midweek game. Any more thoughts, Matt? They scored 45 seconds into the second half. It's an absolute capitulation. I've never been more embarrassed in my whole career. Sporting Kansas City captain Johnny Russell, end quote. I mean, this is, I mean, you know, we just, you know, Mark, we just finished up with the Rapids playing their second of two regular season games against one conference opponent in LAFC. I, I don't know. I don't know that I can remember, Mark, another time in which the Rapids have played another team in quick succession in league play and they were so bad and like got even worse like you could understand like if the rails come off in the middle of summer and the rapids play a team in like the first month of the season and they reach them at the end of the season where there's an interim head coach they've signed a bunch of homegrowns they're playing the kids and they're clearly punting on that game for the sake of next season but i mean you're talking it's been what two months since the game against kansas city i was like wow they're bad they need to figure it out yeah they'll probably get healthy shallow wheel start scoring johnny russell will show his leadership and everything maybe they'll make a signing with what's left of the window Peter Vermees knows to handle, how to handle this. This is the team that's consistent. Like, they've only missed the playoffs once, and it's because they had a bunch of injuries, you know, since they've won MLS Cup. They'll be fine. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, the like the train went from being, like, slightly ajar to, like, falling off, and now it's, like, rolling down the hill perpendicular to the tracks. And it's just a matter of whether or not it's going to explode because it's a Michael Bay movie or not is where I'm at at this point. So this is the team the Rapids should beat. This is a team, if you want to look back at it and say it's a good result, a good three points in terms of continuing to keep, compete for the playoffs, the Rapids absolutely need to be, they are there absolutely for the taking. You should beat them. At the same time, like, this has to be, if it wasn't already where they were as a club, a wake-up call to give up a seven-spot on the road to see any kind of response. I think if there's any, if there's anything left and there's going to be a heroic, dramatic comeback from sporting Kansas city without them making significant changes in the summer, it needs to start this week. They also have a DGW folks. I think it's only, it's only a handful of teams. The Rapids have two games this week. Seattle has two games this week. Sporting Kansas city has two games this week, but I mean, this is, I don't think it's time. I think they can have a really bad year. And have Peter Vermees like not get fired from ownership, but I think if it ends up going really poorly, they're kind of in a position that I was expecting the Timbers to be in this year, where I was thinking 
that, you know, if it ends up not working, they need to have a serious conversation about the next two to three years of the club and then the plan for that. And does that mean that Peter Vermees, who's had, you know, basically all of the sporting control, do they bring in people as support staff? Do they pivot in some way? Does Vermees go upstairs and then appoint another head coach? Um, Or is this just another, you know, hey, I'm the best guy to still rebuild this. I want to be around here. I want to be in Kansas City. You know, I'm okay with taking two to three years and rebuilding everything completely like we knew was eventually coming. The post-Roger Espinosa, post-Johnny Russell, post-Graham Zussi era was coming in Sporting Kansas City. I didn't expect it to be this year, but they had to know that it was going to be sometime coming soon. And maybe they, it's just time to hit the reset or hit the pivot button in any case. But what I do know from a Kansas City perspective is they need to have a response in this way. Johnny Russell needs to play better. Danny, uh, Daniel Shallowy needs to be effective. This team needs a little bit more bite in the midfield and not in a Volador red card kind of way. We'll see if Court Ford can work his way into the lineup given his mentality and everything. But I think they're either going to see the the Rapids, or the Rapids and then whoever Kansas City has later on this week. Let me look that up. Uh, and then San Jose. Oh, my God. They play San Jose on Sunday. So. I think that I think this next week is either going to give us an indication that this team needs a full summer reset, probably an offseason reset, or we're going to see with two compared to their recent schedule and recent performances. You've got a home game against a team that normally you play well against at home, and then you've got the other team that's at the bottom of the Western Conference. If there's any opportunity for you to just show from a mentality and a fighting spirit standpoint and forget tactics, forget game states, forget what are you doing tactically, just go out and show intensity and get six points in two games in intensity, it's going to happen this week. So I'm not going to say that this is the last stand for Sporting Kansas City, but if they don't get four points this week, I think... Peter Vermees and everybody there has to take a really hard look internally as to whether or not they want to save the season in the summer and jettison out some people potentially and then take a really and then depending on how the rest of the year looks take an internal look as to whether or not there need to be significant personnel and ideology changes in the club in the offseason and so in that regard you're you're working against a team that is beaten and wounded but also in a state of being very dangerous because they know they have very little left to lose at this point um that being said mark i have a victory for the colorado rapids on wednesday what do you have i think a draw uh it feels like uh we've been living um you know we we had a we had a, a long week and i also think there'll be some squad rotation so it's easier to pick that and also i think sporting probably will get it together eventually and against us is always pretty you know decent chance especially at home they play in their they nickname their stadium the blue hell or at least the sporters end is the blue hell um and it is they are i've been there it's a great it is a great great road trip for colorado rapids fans it's close it's like one flight or one eight hour drive if you like suffering um the other thing i'll say matt is their wins are against good teams they beat dallas four to two they beat Salt Lake one to nothing, and Salt Lake is in the top four of the table. And they beat Houston one to nothing, who's in the top four of the table. So they they play well against good teams. They play up to their opposition. So I think a draw sounds good. Yeah, I guess I'll put it this way. I'll, I'll look at this in terms of an entire week, Mark. I'm expecting. Uh, I am predicting four points, and I will define success for this week as four points between the two games. With that. 
Let's move on to the Seattle Sounders. Uh, Mark Konkiaf, Champions League champions, obviously, um, mostly healthy with the exception of the ACL injury to Xiao Paolo. He obviously won't be available to score Golasso against the Rapids this coming Sunday, and he's likely out for the rest of the season. Uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz, Nico Lodero scoring goals, being extremely effective. Jordan Morris back and no injury concerns uh, despite what's happened to him. The last couple of years, they have the Roldan brothers who've been operating on the right side for the Seattle Sounders, so Colorado Rapids left, so taking on probably Jonathan Lewis and then Lucas Estevez and Austin Trusty there with the injury to Jao Paulo. Um, it's been Omar Vargas and then Atencio who are probably filling in that role, and then a central midfield but still kind of um, attacking player role was their big offseason acquisition, uh, getting Albert Rusnak from uh, that team from down the hill, folks, um, coming over in free agency. Defense will still very much look the same. Stefan Fry, stalwart, you know, one of the best center backs excuse me, one of the best goalkeepers in MLS history. Uh, and then Xavier Ariaga and Yaimar Gomez Andrade at the center back roles. And then at times it's been a back four, at times it's been a back five mark, but look for probably one of the Roldan brothers to be at the right back, right wing back role. And then Nuhu Tolo, my favorite chaos monster in MLS, uh, bombing down the left against Keegan Rosenberry. Mark, this is a team that has won Champions League. This is a team that is now out of Open Cup. This is a team that is just focusing on league play and the big angry green and blue monster is rearing its head and finally focusing on league play they are going to start raffle stomping teams that are bad and teams that play poorly against them this is a team that i do not think will finish 11th in the western conference which is where they're currently sitting this is a team that i am not doubting or taking lightly at all coming into this sunday we are full on Matt Mark mind meld once again, Matt. Which is these these guys are not the eleventh best team in the league uh, or in the Western Conference. They are much much better than that. They've been taking it easy in the league uh, so that they could focus on CCL. Um, uh, for those who have not been watching MLS uh, religiously for the except for just the last few years, you may not be aware that Seattle has a history of kind of sandbagging the first half of the season and then coming in gangbusters at the back end of the season and just going totally ham on the league and being fantastic. Whether they start that run now or whether they wait till the All-Star break is a good question, but um, this team is very good. You do not mess with them. You do not take them lightly. They have Rui Diaz. They have Russ Snack. Um, they have Nico Lodero. They have Will Bruin coming off the bench. They have Jimmy Madranda coming off the bench. They have... Yamar, who can sometimes come off the bench. They have Alex Roldan sometimes coming off the bench. They are very deep, I think, is the other thing about this team. So they handle a double week, uh, uh, you know, uh, a double game week a lot better than your average team does. Um, the flip side of that is um, the counter arguments to the argument that you and I just made, Matt, is Toronto in, I think it was 2018 or 2019, when... They made a fantastic CCL run and almost won the whole dang thing. And then in the regular season, they just looked terrible. They looked like they were exhausted from CCL and they never got over the CCL hangover, right? Um, do I think that Seattle will have a CCL hangover? No, but I, I want to put out there that it's possible. 
Yeah, I think the other thing, so the, the thing that's hard about predicting the double game week mark is on top of that because all of these teams were in open cup play yeah. midweek. So this is, you know, this is, we're trying to predict the third and fourth game of a quadruple game fortnight, if you will. Fortnight being two weeks, 14 days stacked together, folks, not the game that <laughs> I don't understand, but obviously the kids Where you are build walls and shoot at the same time, yeah. Yes, as opposed to crafting stuff to mine with and mining stuff with craft with. But Which in any Matt case, is an expert in. <clears throat> yes, so it's, a, so it's a difficult one to predict because both, all three of these teams that we're talking about, the Rapids, the Sounders, Kansas City, you know, are already have dealt with having to rotate their squads and having to deal with multiple fronts with Open Cup. And now we're getting into the third of those. We've seen from Robin Frazier in the past, and then obviously with this week, I don't know that he's going to go full Rapids 2 or bench lineup or just straight play the kids. I think these collective four games, as we'll end up seeing, will be B-ish to B-plush lineups, and it's just a matter of which guys are rotating out and everything. I don't think Danny Wilson plays 180 minutes this week. Um, I think Jack Price probably, if he's healthy enough with the hamstring and everything, coming off the bench on Saturday. How did we not talk about that, Mark? That was fantastic. And obviously, Danny Wilson playing great uh, with his first start, and then obviously, he came off the bench uh, in the Minnesota game as well. So I think Price, if he's ready to go, probably starts one game, goes 60, comes off the bench, plays 25, 30 in another one. So that's kind of hard to predict. But as you said, Rabbi, Seattle is best equipped to deal with this as that's what they've been doing with Champions League. Anyways, they basically had double game weeks like the past two to three months between Open Cup and then now dealing with and Champions League as well. And they're a team that's obviously very well equipped to do it, Mark. I think you could argue, I'd say at least a third of the teams in this league could upgrade their center forward position with Will Bruin. And I think half of them would take Freddie Montero in a heartbeat. And all of that, assuming that Raul Ruiz Diaz and Nicolo Dero aren't available or they don't want to play Jordan Morris as a false nine as well, not being an option. Like this team is absolutely deadly. You take out, I'd say you take out six, their six most important important starters folks and this is probably still a playoff team if anybody is battle tested and built and equipped by garth Loggerway and prepared by brian smetzer to deal with this kind of a schedule it's sporting it's seattle sounders in that regard i do not take them lightly i take them very seriously on sunday sporting kansas city's the wild card because they also had a crazy schedule with open cup as well and then just with the you know the shock and you know pain of giving up seven goals to the Portland Timbers you have to wonder that on some level Peter Vermees has to shake things up from a personnel standpoint from a formation standpoint so I don't know what to expect from Sporting Kansas City because that element is a wild card at the same time they're a bad team who's been bad who looks like an old bad team and in that regard I think regardless of what they shake up they could be very predictable and very poor on Wednesday. So, um, Mark, I've kind of already said it. I think uh, if I have to predict the games individually, I have a win on Wednesday and a draw on Sunday. Overall, again, I'm saying I predict and will define success on four points. Uh, do you want to predict the Sunday game against Seattle, or do you want to predict how many points the Rapids will get this week? No, I liked what I did before. Uh, you you be the points guy, and I'll be the specific predictions guy. I'm also going to go four points, though, Matt. I think the Rapids beat Seattle at home. Uh, lastly, I do have to say, Mark, um, I have strong reason to believe um, from talking to a few people within the league that uh, Robin Frazier will probably not be fined from his terms. There's actually there's no in the Open Cup 
folks, there's actually no requirement for teams to do individual media availability at the level of round they're at right now. So the Rapids did that voluntarily. So I don't know how much jurisdiction the Open Cup could have to find somebody for something that they say in post-game media availability. But I have strong reason to believe uh, folks, that if Bruce Arena hasn't been fined for some of the things that he said and four-letter words that he's used, I don't know between Robin Frazier's F-bomb and then his two mentions of female dogs on Thursday afternoon that he's going to be fine. But Mark, I have an idea that I want to proposition to you. Should KSC now internally start fining players and coaches during media availability purely to take money out of Robin Frazier's paycheck to further fund future DP transfer rumors. Should we start a Robin Frazier swear jar in an effort to subvert the financial limitations of the Colorado Rapids? Uh, F no, Matt, because I, I effing like it when Robin Frazier effing says swear words all the effing time. I would, I, and I also think, uh, KSE should actually legitimately pay for their DPs without having to resort to shenanigans like, I don't know, lowering the quality of food to save a buck for for the fans. <laughs> okay, then at the very least, Mark, should Mrs. Frazier start a swear jar to then fine Robin Frazier to set a better example to his kids and then also lead to better allowances so that the Frazier offspring can buy more ice cream then? I'm all in favor of the children getting money out of the swear jar. It sounds fair to me. <laughs> All right, uh, Rabbi, let's get out of here. Uh, Matt, we are sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scars. They are two purveyors of wonderful apparel that you can wear on your um, neck, neck tube or on your um, arm tubes if you'd like them. Um, Icarus makes great custom uh, kits. They make them for everything from professional teams all the way down to your U4s. Uh, they make cool collars. They make all sorts of special designs. You can uh, commission one of their artists to do it for you, or you can do it yourself. That's IcarusFC.com. Roughneck Scarves does the same stuff with uh, custom-made scarves. They do uh, the wool. They also do the silk. So uh, if you're starting to heat up back where you are, Matt, I don't know what the weather was like in Denver, but it was pretty hot here in Pittsburgh this last week, except for today when it rained. Um, and you might want to switch to the silk, and they have all sorts of options there. Matt, tell them how to hit us on the socials, on the internet emails, and also where to read our fine written content. Yeah, I should point out, uh, listeners, uh, we cannot vouch for our sponsors and whether or not they'll actually let you print out inappropriate words or anything. But as I can attest to, Mark, as a friend of multiple people in the Northern Guard, um, they do print out asterisks or other blank spaces as well. So you can censor some of your words for certain USL championship clubs that are no longer allowing that, which we here at Holding the High Line do not effing agree with. But in any case, listeners, follow us individually on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi and at LWS Matt Pollard. Check out all of our written collective content at lastwordonsports.com backslash soccer and Pittsburgh Soccer Now. For all of our rapid-specific content, head on over to our Substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. You can view us in web form. You can subscribe to us via email. There are free and paid subscriptions available. You can become a paid Highliner for 5 bucks a month or $42 for the year. That is the best way for you to support us financially. But if we bring further monetary value to your life, you can also give us a single cash donation 
at our Patreon, patreon.com backslash rapids96podcast, or by heading on over to the Denver Post, denverpost.com backslash HDHL for a very good deal on all of their digital sports content as they look ahead to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, where, Mark, the Colorado Avalanche will be taking on the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Very interesting there. And also hit us up collectively on the social at rapids96podcast. Send us your questions using the hashtag AskHDHL, or in long form, you may email us at rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Listeners, we'll see you effing next week. Peace.